Hello and welcome to the latest Bike On podcast, the first podcast of 2021. Um, Happy New Year to all our listeners. Uh, We are continuing today with our second in the series, looking ahead to Israel's election um, in March in three months' time. Our guest today is Eli Hazan, who is the Likud's Foreign Affairs Director. Eli, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you for having me. So just as a, as a little background, Ellie, this is welcome back to the podcast. This is, I think, your, your, second, your second time on the, uh, on the podcast. And I should add, just as a little bit of background, you have a long history of working with the Likud. Actually, interestingly, you worked for several years for Gidon Saar when he was a member of the Likud, both as a parliamentary assistant and as a political advisor when he was a minister of, uh, of education with the Likud. Um, however, I should note that you also worked for Prime Minister Netanyahu significantly in the last time there was the Likud uh, primaries um, in, the, in, the, in the last round of the elections, working against uh, Gidon Saar's campaign and for Prime Minister Netanyahu's leadership. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about both those uh, characters in a few, in a few minutes. Um, if we could start, perhaps, and just kind of reflect for a moment how we got to this situation. Who do you blame? I mean, why is Israel heading to another election? There is no doubt about it that Blue and White, and specifically Benny Guns, uh, I blame them. Uh, and in order to reply, I'll just tell you, follow the facts. I mean... They voted, uh, Blue and White voted, or at least members of Knesset of Blue and White voted in order to dissolve the Knesset. Likud voted against it. Now we saw, if we spoke about Gidon Saar, two MKs of Gidon Saar, like a fifth column, voted against as well. They voted in order to dissolve the Knesset. So in that case, I would say that this is the fault of Benny Gantz, Blue and White, Gidon Saar, and all those people uh, who did not understand the importance of not going into an election during the COVID-19 crisis. More than that, I would like to uh, emphasize that Saar and Gantz met a day or two days before the dissolvement of the Knesset. Uh, and in the end, we should bl- blame them. They did something which is, you know, without any responsibility. And uh, they left Netanyahu in order to deal with Corona almost alone. How do you explain the fact that uh, the Likud, um, Prime Minister Netanyahu and the Likud uh, Finance Minister Israel Katz were stalling and didn't bring a budget uh, for 2021? It is very simple. First of all, we brought a budget, if you remember. And for those who do not patient with uh, blue and white, by the way, they put Chaim Ramon, a previous politi- former politician, in the front. Uh, Benny Gantz knew that he may lose his party. And this is why he decided at that uh, time uh, to go to leave the negotiation and not to go forward with it. He wanted to protect Avi Nisankoren, the former Minister of Justice, he did it. And uh, right, or one week later, Avi Nisankoren defected from his party to a new party of one Khuldai. So it means uh, the bad loser of all these kind of moves is Benny Gantz, unfortunately. But why weren't why weren't the Likud prepared to pass the two year budget even even earlier in the year? Oh, it's very simple. We are in the middle of a crisis. By the way, if you speak about the two year budget, we added this amendment to the coalition agreement. It comes from us, uh, and we knew exactly why at that time. In the meantime, you know, we were in the middle of COVID, 
uh, we needed to give other plans uh, regarding COVID, regarding the budget, and therefore we wanted to do it in a different way. Besides that, if you ask some of the bureaucrats in the Ministry of Finance, they themselves said that it would be much better uh, to promote the budget, not, uh, not the two years budget, but step by step. I mean, first of all, 2020 and then 2021. We had no time. And again, don't forget, this is an extraordinary time. We don't live in a, you know, in an ordinary, ordinary time. We live in during the COVID and therefore we must be prepared for any challenge. Um, looking ahead, obviously, we've got a long campaign ahead of us now, uh, two and a half months plus. How confident are you at this stage of victory? How many seats do you think uh, the Likud will win? First of all, I'm not complacent. I mean, uh, if people tend to forget that, that we are going to win in any case, no, this is not the story. We are prepared very, very hard. Uh, the main question is whether Netanyahu will be able to get 61 of the right block without Lieberman and Gideon Saar, and how many votes will come from the Likudniks to vote for Likud. That is the main question. We are going to work very hard. I think that this is the most important elections ever in the state of Israel. I know that uh, we say that in every election, but in that case, that is a real story. I mean, uh, if Netanyahu will win, uh, in that challenge, it means that, yes, we have the people with us, uh, and uh, it is historical. What was, your, what was your reaction when you heard that uh, Gidon Saar was splitting from the party, um, bearing in mind your, your long history and connection to him? I think he made a mistake. Uh, I think he's not a leader because he has no patience in order to wait to the day after Netanyahu. Um, but on the other hand, I was not surprising. I mean, a leader needs to be very, I would say, moderate. Uh, and Gidon Saar is not a moderate. I mean, he does a lot of things, you know, uh, very surprisingly, and that's what he did. Uh, I hope he will fail because on our point of view, if Gidon Saar will be very successful, Likud will lose and the right block will lose. Um, yeah, that, that's the story, in fact. And how, concer how concerned are you? I mean, how do you rate his chances uh, of taking away, taking away seats from the Likud? Again, that's what I wanted to tell you. Uh, I'm not complacent. Uh, are we concerned? Yes, of course, that is an election. I cannot come, you know, I cannot come calm into the election. I must be ready. I must prepare for that. And that's what we're going to do. Uh, Netanyahu, as you know, is very effective on campaigns. And I guess yeah, that you, you will see the finest hour of Netanyahu, not only, you know, by policy, as you could see in the last uh, years, but in the campaigning. And when, uh, and when the former minister, Zev Elkin, uh, joined, joined Likud with kind of some very, very harsh statements about the prime minister, referring to that he was no longer, no longer confident that the prime minister could, could uh, distinguish between kind of national interests and his personal interests, how, what, did you, what did you feel thinking, seeing, seeing that press conference and seeing Elkin's defection? I felt very sorry for that. Uh, but on the other hand, I look at the reality. If Netanyahu is so egoist, as he described, how come you can explain that Israel faced, you know, we were one of the best 10 countries to deal with COVID. Uh, Netanyahu brought four peace agreements. Uh, the Israeli economy in the last 10 years uh, changed completely. I mean, significantly. 
And I think that Elkin is mistaken. He cannot, um, he cannot make, uh, I would say, division between political interest and national interest. That's, that is the difference between me and him. I look at the national interest. I couldn't care less about the uh, personal interest. And that's the difference. In the end, don't forget, most of the voters, they don't vote because of personal things. They vote because of national things. And Britain is a good example. You could see it in the last election. Britain, let's get Brexit done. People voted for Boris Johnson because of the policy in the end. But with, um, with, with, with uh, Elkin's credentials as kind of as an authentic or even a, a hardline right winger, it's going to be very difficult in this campaign to depict, you mentioned kind of the right wing camp. Do you, do you see Gidon Saar and Elkin as part of the right-wing camp? How would you define them? No, no, of course not. I tell you why. Because they disqualified Netanyahu, but they did not call, disqualified any parties from the left wing. I mean, uh, they are taking Yair Lapid into consideration. They are taking Benny Gantz into consideration. So it means one thing. They are going to align themselves with left-wing parties in order to take down Likud. Uh, again, if I would have been a rightist, I would vote for Likud because in the end, if Likud is falling down, then the right wing in Israel is falling down. That is the equation, whether they want it or not. But the Prime Minister Netanyahu, he's also gone into partnerships in the past with Lapid and obviously recently with, with Benny Gantz as well. Um, he understands you need, to, you need to kind of widen the frame to build a coalition. Well, how is that, how is that different? This is a big difference. Netanyahu is a statesman and Gidon Saar is a politician. If you would tell me that Gidon Saar will bring it and like Netanyahu, I will tell you, okay, I'm for it, but you cannot compare. Indeed, one who belongs to the Champions League of the, of the Prime Ministers, and his rival is not a competition at all. He belongs to the, you know, one of the smaller leagues in Israel. It's, it's not comparable. Um, looking ahead in the next couple of months, we'll see the uh, the evidentiary stage of the trial of uh, Prime Minister's trial start. How concerned are you about those those images kind of appearing on the, the TV screens daily during a during an election campaign? We could see, and I'm saying that not as a Likudnik, but as an Israeli. I'm in I'm wearing you know the hat of a commentator right now. We could see that there is no difference. I mean, if you are supporting Netanyahu, you support him in any case. And if you are against Netanyahu, you are against him in any case. The trial has no, has no importance for that matter. More than that, I can tell you that uh, the more Prime Minister Netanyahu is dealing with the trial, the more I support him. Because I know that they want to take down not Netanyahu as Netanyahu. They want to take down people like me. Uh, this is a, a political st struggle between right and left, between the deep state and the legitimate uh, elected representatives. This is how we see it. Uh, and for us, Netanyahu is a symbol. So we support him strongly, maybe more than ever, by the way. But the same people that in the past have led the, uh, have led the, uh, the, the, the prosecution or building up the case against Netanyahu were people that Netanyahu himself appointed, the, the police chief, the, the attorney general. Um, how, do you, how do you kind of reconcile this with, a, with, some, with some plot? First of all, you have to see it in the right context. There is no doubt about it. You're right. You're completely right. Netanyahu appointed them. But he appointed them as part of the law. Let me give you an example. Take Mendenblit, for instance. It was a committee 
Netanyahu, well, in general, we must explain that to the, you know, to the listeners. It is not as that one day Netanyahu is, you know, waking up and say, I want to appoint this person to this position. There is a committee and it is recommended by this committee. Let me give an example. Take, for instance, Benny Gantz as chief of staff. If you remember, Benny Gantz was not the first choice. If you remember, Yoav Gallant, now as a minister, it was the first choice of the, of the government. And then, you know, another blame, another, you know, scandal. Yoav Gallant was not appointed as chief of staff and Benny Gantz was the next. Uh, you want to speak about the chief inspector of the police? If you remember, Gal Hirsch, by the way, he may be a candidate in Likud. He was supposed to be the next, you know, chief inspector. And then the media in Israel, the left wing in Israel started a new scandal against him and he was outside. And then Netanyahu needed to bring Al-Sheikh, the former chief inspector that turned against him as well. In the end, I tell you how we see it. Mendenblit and Al-Sheikh, all those people, they want the legitimacy of the next side. For instance, let me give you another example. Uh, Ehud Barak, the same famous Ehud Barak said, in the past, and you can see it on YouTube, that we know that Mendeblit want to be a judge in the Supreme Court, and he knows exactly what to do. And you have to understand it in this context. Um, okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, if I turn to, if I turn to the campaign, what do you think will be kind of the, the, the highlight uh, policies that the Likud will, 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 uh, will campaign on this time around? All the good things that Netanyahu brought to the state of Israel. Vaccines, we were the, the second one in the world after the British, uh, but we were the, the most effective one. I mean, millions of millions, by the way, until today when we are speaking, nearly 15% of the population gets vaccine. Uh, four peace treaties. Not another prime minister did these kind of things. Uh, I would say that uh, international relations and vaccine and dealing with Corona, those going to be the highlights. Uh, and we could see it uh, not long ago that we are going to speak about Netanyahu as a statesman and the others uh, as a politicians. And by the way, that is the reality. I mean, if you look at the facts, okay, I know I'm not objective, but if you look at the, pack, the facts, Netanyahu is a statesman, they are politicians. I mean, I don't see, for instance, for that regard, Avigdor Lieberman, he can peace treaties, he can change the reality in the state of Israel. Who? Uh, Ron Khuldai can bring vaccines in this amount of, you know, of numbers? No, not at all. The, Netanyahu is not comparable. Um, will the Likud be producing a, a manifesto uh, this year? I ask because in previous years they haven't, uh, they haven't found it necessary. I don't think so because we don't need to. I tell you why. Usually in the manifesto, you promise a lot of things and then in the reality, you cannot fulfill anything of what you have promised. By the way, if you look at the past, it has been a lot of criticism against Yair Lapid. You promised to do this, this and that. And in the end, you didn't do it. We don't have a manifesto. We have one thing, actions. Facts, things that we did in the favor of the state of Israel, and we have Benjamin Netanyahu as a candidate, and we believe strongly that he is the best. Uh, what did you think of the Likud decision to cancel the uh, the primaries this time round? 
First of all, I must emphasize, yeah, 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 I must emphasize, we are a democracy. Likud is the last democratic party in the state of Israel. Unfortunately, we couldn't do it. We needed to postpone it, first of all, because of the budget. Right now, we are in a big deficit. And second, and most important, I mean, usually money is not a trouble, but the most important thing, we could not do it. Drug down, doing a COVID, uh, it is not realistic to do it. So in that case, I supported, I mean, it has been a vote. I supported uh, in postponing the, uh, the primaries for that time. But of course, when COVID will, will go of us, of course, primaries, that is the best uh, way to determine the uh, Likud's list. Um, we do it for so many years. Likud was, Likud was the second party who started with it in 1977. And of course, we are very proud. So we, you mentioned uh, Gal Hirsch before. I mean, so the, the, the Likud Secretariat has agreed that the Prime Minister will be able to, uh, to place, I think, six candidates in the top, uh, in the top 40. Um, if we can speculate, who are the names that you think uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu will insert? I tell you the truth, I don't know. Usually the names that you see in the media, most likely they are not going to be in the list. This is how it works in Israel. Or spins and spins and spins. Uh, I can tell you what I want and what I would recommend to the prime minister. Likud is a diverse party. I mean, we are trying to give representation to every group and subgroup in the Israeli society. And I truly believe that we need to find candidates that will reflect this diversity. By the way, I'm very happy to read that Netanyahu is most likely to appoint an Arab candidate. We already have a Druze in the list. And of course, I support it very much, but not more than that. We want a, a woman religious. Uh, if we speak about Mizrahi Ashkenazi, I hope to find more Mizrahi candidates. Uh, that's what I support him. But in any case, I mean, look at Netanyahu. Usually he finds the formula in order to balance the list. I mean, he did it in 2015, he did it in 2019. The most important thing is balance. It's, it's very interesting you mentioned about inserting a, an, an Israeli Arab uh, candidate. That might be counterintuitive to some of our listeners. Can you, can you just expand a little bit more about... Uh, both the relations between the Likud and the Arab public and also the, uh, the relationship within the parliament, uh, the working relationship with some of the Arab MKs. You know, two days ago, I was speaking with an MP, Swedish MP, and he asked me, I cannot understand how come in 2019 and in 2015 you were against the Arabs and now they are part of you. And then I said, you should listen to what we are, what we are saying. And by the way, I had a lot of interviews, including to British channels, when I said, we have nothing against the Arab community, the Arab citizens of Israel. We have a lot against those who support terrorism. Unfortunately, the majority of the ingredients of the Arab joint list, the majority of the MKs supported terrorism, and therefore they were illegit for us. The others, the ones who are willing, you know, to cooperate, to integrate into society, we will be the first one to do it. More than that, from 2015 to 2019, the state of Israel under Netanyahu, it was Netanyahu plan uh, of investing 15 billion shekels in the Arab society. Not any other prime minister did it in the past. Netanyahu is the first one to do it. And if I have to conclude my answer, I would tell you, of course, we are in favor of integrating the Arabs, but we are against Arabs who support terrorism. 
And as, as long as we find partners from the Arab community to cooperate with, we are in. And as I told you already twice in this podcast, look at the facts, look at the actions. Could you just describe some of that uh, kind of the, the partnership and arrangements that were the, that found in the last Knesset of cooperation between certain aspects of the joint list and the Likud? Yeah, MK Mansour Abbas. Mansour Abbas, by the way, is an Islamist. I have a lot of disagreements with him. Uh, he's against homosexual rights and I'm in favor. He's very religious and I'm not. I would define myself as a traditional, you know, who respect the others. But in the end, if Mansour Abbas, as an MK, as the leader of the Islamic, in Israel, it's divided into two uh, sections of the Islamic group. They have the northern one is out of the law. I mean, uh, they are illegit completely. And you have the southern one who led by Mansour Abbas. And if MK, Mansour Abbas says that I'm willing to put aside right now the national issues, and I want to speak only about civic issues, of course we are in favor. We didn't change anything in our point of view. We didn't change anything in our ideology. We just implement what we said for so many years. So, I mean, just, just to expand on that, I mean, do you think there are votes there within the, uh, the, the, the Arab-speaking uh, public? I hope so. I don't know. We, we will have to, to see it. But I hope so, and I believe so. I can tell you why, because I have, in my uh, duty in Likud, I reply to a lot of emails of civilians. And I can tell you that there is a lot of Muslims who write emails to the party who want to take part in the campaign. And I have a lot of hopes about it. So, I mean, I mean, on one side, there is kind of in certain, certain parts of the joint list, there is a clear kind of working professional relationship, whilst you're also kind of leading the campaign that would, that would not um, work together with them in a coalition. How do you explain that uh, anomaly? It's not an anomaly, it's reality. It works in both ways. On one hand, you know, we were elected, I mean, the MKs of Likud were elected to serve the public. We have a, minor, a minority of nearly 20% of Arab citizens of the state of Israel. We need to serve them. On the other hand, unfortunately, as I mentioned, their leaders, or at least their current leaders, support terrorism. So we needed to find a formula to serve this Arab community without cooperating with those Arab leaders. You call it anomaly, I call it reality. And that's what we did. Um, just looking across to other potential partners, um, clearly the, the ultra-Orthodox are, are still kind of part of the, uh, the, the Likud's natural partners. Um, how concerned are you about the uh, kind of, I would call it the independent streak of, uh, of Naftali Bennett and, uh, and the Yamina party. Obviously, they were left out of this current government. Where do you think they will, they will fall next time around? Again, I simply don't know, but I hope and, and I guess that Naftali Bennett will make, you know, the reasonable choice to go with Netanyahu. Besides that, don't forget, he has some MKs in his list who already declared that they want a right-wing government under Netanyahu. They don't want cooperation with some other left-wing parties. And in the end, you, we should wait to the final results of the election and to see where it goes to. I know one thing. This is the battle of the battles of my life. And a lot of Likudniks would feel the same feeling that I have. Uh, and we are going to fight. And I hope that we are going to win. 
So obviously, I mean, the plan A would be to to include uh, to get to six, the magic number of sixty one with the natural partners of the ultra orthodox, and then persuade Naftali Bennett to go in across exactly. the political across the political spectrum. I don't, I don't see many other partners who would be willing to go in now with the uh, with the Likud under under Prime Minister Netanyahu's leadership. I mean, what what do you what is there a plan B or what else can you do? I cannot speak about Plan B. I can tell you that uh, in October 2019, I was asked by the BBC whether uh, Benny Gantz will join Netanyahu. And I said, yes, in the end, he will decide in this way. There is a reality. And again, I want to remind you, it is, it is October 2019. People thought that I'm a lunatic when I said so. In the end, there is a reality. And, and it is very simple. If Likud would be the biggest party, and I hope so, and uh, we will do everything human possible in order to achieve it. So there is a reality, there is a dynamic, and usually politicians in Israel promise a lot of things, but in the end, when they face reality, they're changing their views. Benny Gantz is a very interesting case study, and he's not the only one. Okay, um, Eli, thank you very much indeed for your, for your time today. Most appreciated. We will obviously continue to uh, to follow this uh, campaign closely, um, and perhaps we will uh, will touch base with you again uh, further on in the campaign. But for today, thank you very much, and thank you all for listening.